Hi, everybody. It's Pete Oliver. Welcome to the Emerge on Purpose podcast. This podcast is for sales reps and managers who want to become better leaders. Each show, we'll talk about a different leadership principle that will help sales reps and managers emerge on purpose. Welcome to the Emerge on Purpose podcast. I'm joined today by Penny Sullivan. Penny and I, and I have known each other and worked together now for two and a half years. Two, Penny, is that right? Two and a half years now? Is it two and a half or three and a half? It's one or the other. There you go. Long enough where it, it feels like we've worked together forever. And she's elevated her career very fast, just on, on, on the short period of time that I've known her. But she's done a great job over her extended career of understanding the sales process, understanding salespeople, and more importantly, understanding how to manage salespeople. She's worked with some of the best in the business from a sales management perspective. And so, Penny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. So tell us about your role in your company. My current role is in sales enablement. So our team works with sales supporting business units and sales leaders to make sure that salespeople have what they need in order to be successful. I've got a small crew, but a wonderful crew. I think if you're not hiring people who are more talented than you, you're missing the trick in leadership. So I've got a really, really good team, but that's our goal. Help salespeople awesome. be successful. It's our true north. And size of your sales team, give us, give us a sense for what that scope looks like for you. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> if Terry was here, she would give you the exact number. I mean, we're looking at 300-ish. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, I actually happen to know the answer <laughs> yeah, I to do. This. I do. It was, not, it was an open book test, frankly, but you're right. It's about 300. And with that, you've got a, a, a very diverse leadership team with a lot of skills, a lot of strengths. And I know for a fact they're awesome at what they do. And frankly, we're excited to partner with you on that level, too. As we get into this today, part of what we try to do on these podcasts is take a specific leadership principle and then talk through what it means, why it's important, and then how do we execute it. I think you know, I definitely know this, there's a, a lot of failure in sales. And we as sales leaders need to evolve our team to be okay with failure, to not take things personally, and to put themselves in a position where they're, they're okay with executing things that sometimes might be outside their comfort zone. So racking my brain on who I can get to come on the podcast and talk about an important concept called IR theory. And you are my number one pick. <laughs> I, not only do I respect you as a sales enablement professional, but I know for a fact that IR theory has become part of your process with yourself and with your people. One of my favorites. So let's talk about IR theory. Can you help me define what that means to you? What IR theory is. <clears throat> Identity is what's left when you strip away all of the external roles. So the things that I do for my family, my company, my community, all of the external influences, and I'm left with myself, my identity, my self-worth. That sovereign, okay. just like just you, when you take the rest away, that's your identity. Okay, got it. IR theory tells us that we want to separate out our identity from our roles. Why is that? Why is that important? 
So if we're consistently relying on our worth as, as it pertains to our role, our role performances, right? Where that's where anxiety and stress and all of these other things come into play because we're playing someone else's games to someone else's rules. So if you're consistently rating yourself on someone else's scale, right? Like I can't remember who told me this, but whatever ruler you're using, like of measurement becomes your ruler, like your king. So whatever you're using to measure yourself against, and if that's roles and performance in other people's eyes, you're never going to be happy, I guess. And that sounds, it sounds like we're really straying away from sales, which I tend to do because I do think this is one that has a great potential for crossover for just life and wellness. Um, but if we're not separating them, we're playing by someone else's rules. Yeah, I agree. And when you think about actually separating them out, why that's so important for us as salespeople and sales leaders is because of the failure rate that we have with some of those behaviors that we're doing in sales. It, it can feel like we're getting beat up. Even the best salespeople get told no a lot more than they get told yes. And we start to take things personally. And I think that's part of the essence of IR theory is we don't need to do that. Our identity can stay sovereign because that's who we are as a person and our roles in life will not impact our identity. And I think a lot of times that's what ends up happening is our role performance hurts us as a person and we have to figure out a way to separate that. Yeah, I think that's too, it overlaps with the rule about not becoming emotional in the sale right? Where we're, we're leaving. I can't remember how we used to say it, right? But we're not becoming emotional. Uh, we're staying in that adult. And I know we're not here to talk about transactional analysis, but I'm sure you'll do that with someone else in a different podcast. And it's another one of my favorites. And I think that separating your IR allows you to stay in that kind of objective place because you're not taking things on personally. It's not affecting your self-worth that you didn't accomplish this thing. It's interesting too, because Freeing yourself from that allows you to set and seek out bigger goals because no longer are you feeling just so bogged down by the pressure of it all because you know your eyes always a 10. My identity cannot be impacted by my role performance. Me, my self-worth, always good. And that allows you real freedom. It's, it's almost like armor in your role and your performance. You can do whatever you need to do, which allows you to set bigger and bigger goals. You know, it's a great point. And let's hit on that for a minute because I don't want us to overlook that I-10 factor that you just mentioned. <laughs> if we did a little self-exercise and we asked ourselves, okay, let's strip away. You know what? Let's make it, let's make it a little bit of fun. Let's, let's go to a deserted island or our happy place, someplace beautiful, knowing that you're going to be there for a very short period of time. And while you're there... You don't get to bring any of those roles you play in life with you. All you get to bring with you for the short period of time is your own self-identity, your own self-worth. And if we're there, absent of all of our roles, and we ask ourselves a question, you know, how do we feel about ourselves? How do we feel about where we are right now, absent of all of our roles? And we self-rank ourselves. We give ourselves a number, somewhere between a one and a 10. 10 being, can't be any better. I feel great about myself. Or a one being, not good or somewhere in the middle. Not we, good. <laughs> not good. And, and you and I have done this exercise with tons of managers and sales reps, and you get all sorts of numbers when you ask for that ranking. 
And frankly, the first time I did it, I gave myself an eight. I didn't give myself a 10. Do you remember the number you gave yourself first time you did it? I, it's interesting because I think I went really low the first time I ever did the exercise because I fall into the same trap that a lot of people do, or I fell into the same trap. I've grown since then, evolved, but I based a lot of my self-worth on my roles, a lot yeah. of it in the past. So I think I ranked myself fairly low the first time we did the exercise. And then it's interesting because every time we've done that exercise with a group now, the face, the look on people's faces as you continue to strip the the different kinds of roles, like I think that they expect you to strip away the roles as as it pertains to their company, to their job, their career. I think when you start to strip away the roles that people play in their families and their communities, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I am a mom. You know, that's who I am. I am a mom. Or like you ask people like, oh, what do you do? Everyone assumes now you're asking about their career. So it's a really interesting exercise to try to, if you move all those things away, but I think I rated myself maybe like a six the first yeah. time I did the exercise. I'm I ten now. <laughs> right. I think the well, first I mean, time that's, was a six though. To me to me, that's that's the point is probably the reason why we would any of us would rate ourselves something less than a ten is because we allowed our roles to bleed into our identity. Even though I said leave all your roles behind. Mm-hmm. Somehow we we can't do that and and it still bleeds into how we see ourselves as a person. So point of IR theory, the number one point, in my opinion, is to make sure that we're, we all identify as I-10s. Like if I asked you the day you were born, what rating would you give yourself? It, what would it be? 10. 10. ten. There's no, the, like nothing has happened. <laughs> you are a 10 in the beginning and always. Yeah. We haven't messed anything up yet at that point, right? So, But, but then that's it's where like, it starts, okay, isn't it? It starts it like we, we're born and... And then the role starts being, what am I to my parents and my family and my siblings? And then you get a little older and it's, what's my role to my friends and my teachers and my coaches? And you get a little older and it's, what's my role to my bosses, my company, my community? And those roles just continue to build and build and build. And we start to, I, that's our personality in our minds. That's our persona. That's who I am. Um, all of these ego narratives, all of these stories I tell myself kind of take over and we lose sight of just that sovereign state of being, that identity that is always perfect, always 10. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I agree. And it, I th- we are conditioned to some extent to believe that our roles impact our identity. As a kid, I used to get a dollar for every soccer goal I scored. Yes. Great job at that role of scoring soccer goals. <laughs> but I took it as, wow, I'm, I'm good at this. This is like part of who I am now. Yeah, it, It's not that your roles don't help you in your life, because obviously they do. But the question is, do they impact your identity? And they shouldn't. And really, that's the point, right? So and let's think about translating it back to a sales role. Can you, can you give us some examples of where you see that bleed over from the role that sales leaders or salespeople play back over into their identity and where, where some of those those points are that could become a problem? Yeah, it's interesting because I remember when I realized that the the number one problem or the number one thing that would cause bad behavior was poor pipeline. And then I remember stripping it back even further. I really enjoy this exercise of strip it back even further. What's the root cause of this? 
the reason poor pipeline is one of the number one indicators of bad behavior is because that's when people become desperate. And I think that's related to IR. Like if I don't have good pipeline and I'm not bringing in the money, I am failing. And that's when I start doing behaviors that don't serve me because I become desperate. Um, I think that's also when we start to feel those things that I was saying in the beginning, the stress, the anxiety, and just the general unhappiness in our jobs. And we spend so many of our waking hours doing what we do for jobs that that bleeds over into your life. It's kind of like relation, your relationship status has a lot to do with your happiness and then your career status have a lot to do with your happiness. Why? Because those are the, the most present things in your day-to-day life. That's the stuff that takes up most of the hours of your day. So those are the roles that are going to impact you the most unless you start to exercise IR theory. Okay. I mean, it makes makes a ton of sense. So I kind of went all around on that one. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you're on the money. And I, I think some of those bad behaviors that reps may or may not do that lead to bad pipeline as well are they don't ask the tough question because they they're think it's going to hurt them. Mm. Or they make it about them because they're, they're trying to get their own needs met instead of making yeah. it about the client because they're, they feel like they need to help their eye when in reality, they shouldn't need to help their eye because they're already an I-10. So they're basically looking for ways to earn I-10 status when they're already there. And then yeah. that can lead to bad And those are the bad behaviors I'm talking about. Good. Those are yeah. the bad behaviors. I'm do- not asking the tough questions, continuing to kick the can down the road you know, and hope beyond hope, continuing to not listen, not listen to the cues, not listen to the tone, not listen to the silence, not listen to the long periods of not hearing back from a person and just push, 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 force, force, force. It's that resistance to the truth. We're all I tense. If there's one thing we want to take away from this thing, that's probably it. So if you can visualize a wall and you have the I on one side and you have the R on the other, let's take a look at the R side a little bit. If you believe you're an I-10, then you're not going to self-limit your ability to grow inside of your roles. Correct. I-10 is armor. That's what I tell people. I-10 gives you armor in whatever role you're executing. Okay. So let's pretend we believe we're I-10s. Now we go over to the role side. How do we want to look at those different roles and then identify our current state? What does that look like? This is where awareness and discernment are so important. Because as soon as your eye is a 10 and you can look at things kind of objectively, that's when you can sift through and become aware of what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Let's dream a little dream. How could I potentially do it better? And to what end? And you kind of have to reverse engineer that. You have to decide where you're going, why you want to go there. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Make it something that's meaningful to you. Again, probably another topic you'll cover on another podcast. But once once the I-10 is situated, the R limits disappear. It's sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. You just have to start to decide what those things are and work backwards from them never feeling like your eye is vulnerable based on what you do in those roles. Okay. Safe to say that if your eye's a 10, awesome. 
but your role performance, you may never reach a 10 and that's okay because we could always get better. Yeah, I would argue it's probably best if we sit at the, I don't, I don't think there is a 10 in roles. I think there's moments of 10, right? Where you've done a thing well done, but I think our 10 kind of lives in the past. I don't think it's something you can current state or future state because there's always room for growth. I think there's moments where we capture this role was performed performed to the top of my ability. What now? What next? Yeah. Right? But to your to your point, you might want to change your measuring stick at that point. Yeah. Maybe you reached the pinnacle of where you thought you could be because you for whatever reason you got outside your comfort zone, you achieved this this new normal that you couldn't do before. But then you're here. How do you keep climbing? Which means you're changing your own measuring stick and you're constantly trying to achieve a new version of what your 10 could look like on the role side. Well, it's interesting because I think I10 doesn't always doesn't only protect you from being fearful of the negative. It also protects you from being fearful of the positive. I think sometimes the reason we don't set high enough goals or continue to set higher and higher goals is because of the fear that then we have to continue to perform at that level. Or what if I fail? And, and all, of, all of those things, which have happened to me, right? Like if I reach for this high thing and I don't get it, what does that say about me? You know, again, it comes back to self-worth. But if my eye is a 10, I'm going to continue to set higher and higher goals and just see where it can go without feeling without feeling that failure of falling from so high or having to repeat that same performance level. It's not about that. Okay, so let's translate this to the role of sales manager. Let's pretend you're having a coaching conversation with one of your reps and you want to have that coaching process help them with a specific job function like could be anything, prospecting, asking for introductions or referrals, building pipeline, anything. How do you frame the conversation to make sure that you as a leader are talking about the R and not the I? Do you have any tips on how you can frame the discussion to make sure you're taking IR into account when you're coaching? Can I answer a different question first? Because I think it's important. I think it's important to ask before I'm the coach, and before I'm trying to frame it for someone else, what do I have to do to be able to earn that right at the table to do those things with my sales reps? I think that this warrants a pivot because one of the most challenging things with watching coaches is coaches who are not leading from the front, who are not already exercising the behaviors that they're coaching. So I would say number one, <laughs> That leader or coach needs to make sure that their IR is taken care of and that they're operating from a place of I-10. Because before I start to talk about my team's R, which impacts me as a leader, so it kind of rolls up, right? If their performance is going to impact my role performance. So if my R and my I aren't in check, I'm going to start to execute bad behaviors as a leader. I'm going to behave transactionally. I'm going to support them in behaving transactionally, et cetera, et cetera. So first and foremost, I need to make sure my I and R are taken care of. For framing it for someone else, you have to be 
human. I know that sounds really easy. <laughs> like, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, be prepared, have a system, do the research, understand their communication style, do all of these these really important things. But when you show up to the conversation, be human. What do you always say when we start our conversations? You, you're like, let's take care of a little housekeeping. And I always expect you to then start talking about actual housekeeping items, like what needs to happen. And then you talk, to, then we talk about our lives for a little bit, right? And we have our friendship moment before we start talking about work. I think that's really important when you're having these kinds of coaching conversations about difficult topics is to make sure you check in with them as a human first yeah. so that you let them know, I care about you as a human. And then you have to transition and go, but let's put our work hats on for a second. Let's put our work hats on for a second. So I think you have to genuinely care about them as a human. It's not something you can kind of do as a performative thing. You have to genuinely care about your team as a human first. Again, sounds like a really simple concept, maybe simple, not easy. And then you have to pick that moment where you go, okay, but let's, let's talk about work for a minute put our work hats on. That's, I think, I think that's a term I usually, usually use is I'm going to put my manager hat on. You put your sales rep hat on. Let's talk about work uh, for, for a little bit. And it kind of takes it out of that personal realm. I think that's, that's a great way to frame it. It's what type of conversation is it? It needs to be said to your point that you care about them as a human because we do. But then it's like, okay, let's get down the business basically and, and and let's put our work hats on. I love the way you frame that. Sometimes I'll say, do you mind if we talk about this specific area of your role? And I'll say the word role because that's what it is. It's a role. Your role as yeah. a prospector, as a salesperson, whatever it is. And, and then you have a real conversation. And the other thing too, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. If we're going to have a coaching conversation with somebody, they have to want to be coached. Yes. They have to want to be coached and they have to know they're being coached. I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to sneak in some coaching. I disagree. I think they have to want to be coached. And I have, I think you need specific engagements for coaching and not try to just sneak it in all over the place. It happens all the time. We're constantly coaching and learning and growing. But I think if you're trying to establish an actual coaching conversation, you need to set it up as such. In my mind, coaching means you're helping them self-realize what it's going to take to go from where they are to where they want to be. If you want to just look big picture on what the coaching role is. So let's relate this back to IR theory. They would have to admit that there's something less than a 10 on a portion of their role. And you would hope that they would admit that they were less than a 10 on every portion of their role because they're an I-10 on the other side of the equation. So how do you frame that conversation with a rep to, to have them be honest and have some intellectual humility about their current state with a portion of their role? Because that's really a starting place, right? For a coaching conversation. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember thinking that coaching was a specific thing I needed to train on and then selling was a specific thing I needed to train on. (laughs) Coaching and selling are basically the same thing. So as a coach, I'm still applying the Sandler system. So if I want to get into a position where I'm working with a person or customer and they're giving it and there's an honest exchange 
of information, because that's what we're trying to get to as truth seekers, whether we're coaching or selling, an honest exchange of information where someone feels comfortable giving me the information that I need in order to do whatever I need to do. As a coach, it's giving me information about where they're not a 10 and where they need some help and then engaging in a conversation on what it looks like to move from where they are to where they want to go, not where I want them to go, where they want to go. And, yep. and in order to understand where they want to go, I have to do bonding and rapport. I have to have set my clear expectations. And then I have to understand their pain and what happens if they don't change in their minds for them. What happens? And it can't just be, well, then I don't hit my number. Well, what does that mean to you? Not hitting your number. You know, not hitting your numbers for me, it's for other people, right? Like, what does not hitting your number mean for you in your life? And then they want to say, well, you know, my family and all this stuff. Again, like, for you, what does it mean to not be able to support your family or to take your family on that vacation or to, you know, send your kid to that camp? And you have to do the same kind of thing that you would do with a customer where you really peel it back to that third level pain so that they decide that they want to make a change. But you can't get to that kind of a conversation without doing the front end of the Sandler system first, without doing that bonding rapport, without understanding how they like to communicate and how to modify your communication for, for best outcomes and setting clear expectations and, and where we are and giving them the permission to say yes and no, but what does no mean? And what does yes mean? It's the same thing. And I, I talk about this all the time with sales leaders too. Like, it's not like Sandler needed to have two separate programs. You're just applying the Sandler system <laughs> to different parts of, of a company, different parts of an organization. I mean, I, so basically what you're telling me, I love what you said. They need to trust us. There needs to be clear expectation setting. The teammate needs to be an active participant in their own development, meaning they want to move forward for their reasons, not ours as leaders. They've self-realized that they want to go from point A to point B. And they're doing it because they want to improve in their role, not because they want to prove to themselves that they're a better person because they've already decided they're an I-10. Is that fair? Yep. Okay, cool. That's it. Cool. You're that good at summarizing me. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I thought very well said because <laughs> I think a big mistake salespeople and sales leaders make is they assume. They, they, they assume they know the direction forward for their clients. They assume they know what motivates their people. They assume their people want to be coached. And they also assume they know the right way for somebody to, to be coached. But all of those could be false assumptions if we're not asking the questions and if our teammates don't trust us. Yeah, and they, if we assume it's, they assume it's all the same reasons they do things. That's what we do as people. We look out into the world and we project ourselves on everything. So we literally sit down with our reps and project all, all of our whys on them. And all of, all of the same with the customers, right? We we sit down with them and we go, well, clearly here's all of the reasons and we want to tell them. We want, we tell them, we talk at them. We, we try to be, we influence, you know, we try to manipulate and influence and all of those things in other selling systems, not the Zandler selling system, but it, we, the, the golden rule that everyone learns when they're younger, 
about treat people how you want to be treated is not in fact the golden rule. The golden rule is treat people how they want to be treated. And you can't know that without asking questions and listening without a bunch of filters, without all of your perceptions and filters on the situation. You have to take yourself out of it. Well said. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is a deep topic. So deep. (laughs) So deep. And at some point, it needs to turn from theory to operationalizing it for ourselves and for how we can do it with our people. And any thoughts on how, how we can do that? How can we take IR theory and make it real with ourselves and with our people? I think the best way to start exercising awareness and discernment when it comes to IR theory, if I had to pick a best tool for it, it would be journaling. I don't know how other people feel about this, but I think that it's one thing to do the exercise and strip all the things away. But if you don't capture how that exercise made you feel and what you want to do with that feeling, what do I want to change or not change based on my experience? So I think that you have to start figuring out whatever tool that may be. If it's journaling, it's journaling. If it is talking to another person and and creating some accountability, some accountability. I think we've even done that before where I'm like, hey, if I go real out of whack on my IR, will you let me know? Because sometimes people can see it when you can't. I happen to know now that I've done a lot of exercises on in indicators that I have fallen out of balance on IR. For me, it is stress. It is creating stories on what other people are thinking about me. And it is when I'm engaging in behavior, I know I shouldn't be. When either one of those three things are happening, my IR has gone out of balance and I need to go back to the drawing board, which for me is journaling. Why did this happen? How did this happen? How do I have a different reaction in the future, a different outcome in the future if presented with the similar situation? So whatever that looks like for you, sometimes it's accountability, buddy, sometimes it's journaling. But if you keep it all inside yourself and inside your head, we're human. The next exciting thing, the next distracting thing is going to wipe that slate clean. You know, we can't, there's just no way to keep it present all the time unless you capture it somewhere. I don't know. What do you do, Pete? I, I love what you said. I, I think for me, a lot of times what I'll find myself doing, and I'll hear it with our clients occasionally too, is they, they start doing one of two things. Either they'll verbalize a self-limiting belief, like there is no way that I can accomplish X, or I, I haven't earned the right to talk to that X. And you're, you're wondering why that is in fact the case. Is it because they're in that moment, they're not an I-10 and they're worried that if they go attempt that, that they're gonna, it's going to hurt them as a person? Or do they just not have the skill set associated with that role to be able to, to perform it? Yeah. So it's diving into that to figure out which one of those is two things is happening. Attitudinal, there. behavioral, or based on technique. Again, for another, for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think 
basically anything we're trying to do with leaders or sales reps is help them execute more effectively. And we're never trying to help them execute as a person because they're already an I-10. What we're trying to do is help them execute in their roles. And there's times when you can see it bleeding back and forth and you hear it in their self-limiting beliefs, their negative self-talk. Like as an example, let's pretend you're trying to do something that's outside your comfort zone already. You're going to tend to say things that are consistent with failure before you would say things that are consistent with success. You could be standing over a three foot putt and you're saying to yourself, it could, there's no way I'm going to make this putt. I'm, I'm going to miss it. Why would we be saying that? It just doesn't make any sense. But sometimes we, we think we're going to hurt ourselves if we fail. So we preempt it by self-fulfilling the prophecy. It, so it's interesting because the reason we tend to lean towards the negative and think about the negative, and that's clearly what's going to happen. Oh, I can't do that. There's no way I can do this. And we look at all of the roadblocks and the why nots before we think about the art of the possible is because our brains have a, have a function. They have a reticular activating system that is literally designed to point us back towards the same. We train it. So we've trained it to look for the negative our whole lives because that's what keeps us safe. That's what keeps us safe is going, okay, well, that this negative thing might happen. <laughs> this, this scary thing might happen. And our, our brains are designed for us to be able to see those things to protect ourselves. So that's why we're looking for all the negative stuff. Self-preservation. So basically, IR theory is a hack against that that RAD system that makes us recognize threats. Yeah. Because we're worried it's going to hurt us physically as a person when all it is is failure in a role, but our brain can't recognize that. So we have to self-realize that and separate the I from the R. Roll armor. It's armor for whatever armor. armor, whatever role you're going after, this is armor for it because you are retraining your brain to not see things as threats, to not see roles as these, these potential for failure, to not see the things that I'm doing in my role as an indicator of my self-worth. Got it. Okay. Let me summarize what you said. Number one, we're all I-10s. There's no room for anything less in our own minds other than I-10. Our identity is a 10, period. End of story. Fair? Fair. Okay. Number two, since we're all I-10s, we can now take a realistic view of the roles that we play in life and know that we have room for improvement because we no longer have to protect our I because our I is a 10. So we can take a realistic view of where we are inside of our roles and then build a plan to get better Yeah, because we now don't need to protect ourselves against an unfair version of our I. A realistic so, view of where we are? And an optimistic view of where we want to go. Love it. Love it. And in our role as a sales leader and a coach is what? To help people get to that place. To help people get to that place to build their armor so that they can go after the things that they want. To recognize that as a human, as a person, you are good. I-10. In our roles, there's always work to be done. And that's okay. It's okay to be in that place. To be in that growth mindset and wanting to get better, we should all be there. And if we can't look at the the gaps to where we want to be objectively and realistically, then we can't design a plan for improvement and want to go after it. Well said. Love it. This is one of those tools 
that is a foundational element of being a real sales coach. Because without it, we might not get the truth with our reps. Without it, we might not go have the tough conversations. Our reps may not want to have the tough conversations with themselves or their clients. So this just gives us the permission to fail, frankly, in the position to know that we want to get better. Yep. I'm not failing. I'm winning or learning. Awesome. I'm not failing. I'm winning or learning. <laughs> well said. So we're, we're going to end there, Penny. I really appreciate your time on the Emerge on Purpose podcast. It was great having you. I'm sure at some point in the future, I'll want to have you back to talk about some of those other things that we touched on. But appreciate your time. Thanks for having us be a part of your day today. For everybody that's listening, appreciate you listening and feel free to share, subscribe, like, uh, reach out to us on LinkedIn. So with that, folks, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you, our listeners. If you would like to support the Emerge On Purpose podcast and help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Emerge On Purpose podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to reach me, by the way, you can. LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sailfish Pete. That's S-A-L-E. F-I-S-H-P-E-T-E.